What do you watch on TV? I'll tell you what I watch. Mostly local shows, sports, Bravo TV, everything on it, the food show Chopped, and Forge and Fire on the History Channel, which is all about making weapons. Yep, I'm old, I'm boring, I'm a nerd. My wife, on the other hand, though, she knows her Ted Lasso from her WandaVision, and she tells me we're in a television renaissance, and that next month the Emmys are going to hand out awards to the best of the best, and that I better catch up if I want to be cool. Well, thank God for my colleagues who are going to make me sound cool after we do this episode. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Today's Wednesday, August 11th, 2021. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is resigning in the wake of sexual harassment allegations against him. A resurgent Taliban continues to make gains in Afghanistan. And Robin from the Batman comics comes out as bisexual. Your move, King Shark. Today, we continue our collaboration with our sister podcast, The Envelope, and talk all things Emmys, which are coming up September 19th. Who are the favorites, the snubs, the underdogs? Also, what's a streaming service? I still subscribe to DirecTV, and I hear they're becoming a thing. Joining me are two of my LA Times colleagues, Glenn Whip is a columnist for The Envelope, while Matt Brennan is our television editor. Gentlemen, what's up? Good morning, Gustavo. How you doing, Gustavo? Good, good. Ready to learn about TV so I can sound cool. All right, Glenn, the awards that tend to get the most attention in the Emmys, of course, are best comedy series, best drama series, and the best actors for each category. So who are the favorites? I, I think the whole world knows Ted Lasso, right? I don't. Uh, Gustavo, it's about, it's about <laughs> football and not the football that... Americans call football, but the football that the world calls football, soccer. And it's about this very relentlessly optimistic American football coach who goes over to England and coaches a soccer team. We'll call it soccer just for because we're mostly Americans listening to this. So it's just this feel good comedy about bringing out the best in other people, bringing out the best in yourself that you know, so many people said, this is the show that got me through the pandemic. And kind of like Shit's Creek last year, it's just like this very sweet, uplifting comedy that people love and it's going to win maybe not all the comedy Emmys, but most of them. And then on the drama side, The Crown. Gustavo, do you watch The Crown? No, I know it's about Queen Elizabeth II and that Char this is like the Charles and Diana season, supposedly. Yes, it is. So that will win most of the dramas and mostly because Succession, the HBO series, which won last year, it had its season delayed by the pandemic. So instead of this really good TV show about a horrible family doing monstrous things, you have... I mean, I'm not a huge fan of The Crown, but it's it's pretty damn good. It's it's a sumptuous soap opera about the royal family, another monstrous family. Not <laughs> as interesting as the people on Succession, but yeah, that's going to win most of the drama awards. I've seen the first four episodes of Succession, and I thought it was just hilarious. Of course, it's supposedly based on the Murdoch family, the people who run Fox News and all that stuff. What about in terms of the actors for comedy and drama? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be those those two shows. So the actress playing Princess Diana, Emma Corrin, is a big favorite for the crown to win lead actress. Gillian Anderson, who plays Margaret Thatcher, she's going to win the supporting actress. And then, um, I mean, maybe even Josh O'Connor could win for playing Charles. And, and I know I think Matt's a big Josh O'Connor fan. And he's good in this show, but I just hate that Prince Charles guy so much. He's such a horrible person that I can't, I think sometimes characters are so loathsome that voters like are repelled by the character and they can't bring themselves to vote for the actor. He's so good in doing this that it might almost work against him. Is a Prince Charles character that much of a tool, Matt? Do you, do you agree with Glenn's assessment? Yeah, absolutely. But I think that the skill of O'Connor's performance is that he invests the character who is loathsome and doing loathsome things with a level of complexity and nuance that if it doesn't necessarily make you sympathize with the character, it does make you see him as a complete human who... This season, but especially the prior season, when you see sort of his growth into an adult man who is awaiting the throne his entire life, you see that Charles, at least within the sort of universe of the crown, is a really frustrated man who's sort of thwarted in his ambitions and, in fact, doesn't want anything to do with all of the responsibilities of being king. And yet he has to sort of spend his whole life preparing for this role that never actually arrives. Because as we speak now, the Queen is still alive and Charles is still not the King of England. To me, the way that O'Connor plays it gives the character a lot more to him than just his most loathsome qualities. And I actually think that Emma Corrin is really exquisitely good as Diana and, and very deserving of the, the Best Actress Drama Prize. And I think some of the other nominees are really excellent. I enjoyed the experimentalism of Lovecraft Country in terms of its almost anthological structure. I know Glenn is going to talk later about one of the drama series nominees, The Boys, which is a superhero series. But I think most of the heat this year is in limited series. And that is why the kind of comedy and drama races maybe seem a little bit less exciting. I do know about limited series because right now I'm watching on HBO The White Lotus, which is absolutely hilarious. It's like, it's comedy about the going-ons at a Hawaiian resort. It reminds me of a, a Faulty Towers, a legendary series on the BBC decades and decades ago. So how are limited series changing the Emmys then? Well, I think limited series are changing television and the Emmys are just kind of reflecting that. Limited series have made it possible for huge stars and big name directors to dip a toe into television but not be locked into a four, five, seven-year commitment. It's also enabled networks and streaming platforms to tell these sort of really interesting stories, but within a kind of six to eight-hour time frame. And I think that appeals to people in our current ecosystem who feel overwhelmed by the amount of choice. A limited series allows you to get into a show and then have it be over in the course of one season of the calendar. And I think that what you see is the Emmys this year in particular 
the sheer number of high quality limited series made it essentially impossible for all of them to get Emmy nominations. And there were plenty that were deserving. I saw another one, Glenn, also on HBO, I think. It was called The Undoing with Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman. I actually liked it until the end, which was just complete trash. Was that one nominated at all? Just pretty much for Hugh Grant, who was playing. um, I mean, he's played some cads before and quite well, but this was the biggest, most monstrous cad he's ever played, and he was having so much fun with it. You could tell he was the, the main nominee. The series... I think everyone else felt the same way as you, Gustavo, like the, that ending. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, it, please explain it. I, I talked to both of them, Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant, and and even they couldn't quite justify the whole helicopter on the bridge thing. Yeah, a total horrible man. And then at the end, he becomes into like this emotional sop. We'll just leave it at that. We'll be back after this break. Glenn, so much attention is going to the favorites, just like what we're doing here, actually. But how about some underdogs, like series that got nominated that's probably not going to win, but that all of us should be seeing? Well, I mean, I, I contain multitudes, Gustavo. I have many moods. And sometimes I want to like, probably when I've been on LA freeways for um, any period of time, I want to come home and see something that confirms that people are terrible. People are the worst. And so that show is The Boys. And it's this Amazon Studios series that kind of takes on the idea of superheroes and that they're really terrible people, that they're not heroic. They're in it for themselves. It eviscerates every superhero trope that you see in Marvel movies. And Marvel does Marvel well, but I'm kind of tired of Marvel a little bit. I think Matt might be a bigger fan of Marvel than I am. Maybe not, but that Marvel factory has worn on me a little bit. So this show, The Boys, is just this crazy, very dark evisceration of superhero tropes and America today. So if like you were watching season one in the middle of the Trump presidency, say, and and you were fearing the worst about America and the people who were supposed to be caretaking America, this show just spoke to you. So that's that's one. You know, Conan O'Brien, last season on the air. I mean, I've been listening to his podcast, probably listened to his podcast more than I've watched his show because he produces a nice, tight podcast, much like The Times does on a daily basis. (laughs) But, I mean, he's been kind of overlooked his entire career, and it'd be great to send him off. Let's give him a prize. Everybody needs a prize, you know, when you're retiring. Let's give him that gold watch, which is the Emmy. A nice send-off as he goes into the world of podcasting once and for all. Matt, what about your underdogs? So my favorite underdog, which is a competitor of Ted Lasso in the comedy series category, is Pen15, which is a Hulu comedy from co-creators Maya Erskine and Anna Conkle, who play 
sort of fictionalized versions of their seventh grade selves as 30-something women, while surrounded by a cast of actual teen and preteen actors. And as someone who is almost exactly the same age as the co-creators, I watch Pen15 with my hands over my face because it is so excruciatingly accurate, down to the way that they say, oh my God, when they're upset about something. It is like someone went back in time and dug up a time capsule from what it was like to be in seventh grade in the year 2000 and made it into a TV show. Why would you want to see that? That just sounds like agony to me. I do not want to see any remembrance by anyone of seventh grade. What they invest it with is the kind of perspective that you can only have 20 years later. In the season that's nominated this year, which was a shortened season due to interruptions of the pandemic in the production of the show, there's a subplot of featuring Anna Conkle's character, whose name is Anna. Her parents are on the verge of a divorce. And the way that she deals with the stress of first them fighting and then them separating and then them finally deciding to divorce is really heartbreaking and comic at the same time. And I think the show brings to it a kind of vulnerability that you couldn't actually bring to it if you were still in seventh grade. And the kind of care that goes into that plot, I think, is an example of what makes the show more than just excruciatingly precise comedy. And I have to give a shout out to Melora Walters, who plays Anna's mother, who to me would be deserving of an Emmy in her own right for her performance. How about on the performers category? Who, who are some of the underdogs that you're rooting for? I really love Keenan Thompson and Bone Yang from SNL. Yeah, they're funny. Keenan Thompson is the longest serving SNL cast member in history at this point. He's been on the show since 2003 and he's been nominated before and he's won but not for acting. And as someone who has sort of grew up in the Keenan Thompson era of SNL, I really feel like he's overdue for a prize because I feel like he's been sort of the backbone of the show through so many different eras and styles of comedy and sort of political moments. And he's consistently been funny throughout. On the other end of the spectrum, Bone Yang just joined the cast in 2019 and immediately distinguished himself as a major player, in particular through these sort of off-the-wall impressions during the weekend update segment. One of the most recent in, in this past season was as the iceberg in Titanic. And one of the things that you kind of can judge from, you know, who's on the rise in the SNL cast is who's producing the most viral clips. And I would say that Yang has started to be the person who, even if you are not watching SNL Live every Saturday night, you're seeing Bone Yang's comedy on the internet the next day and into the next week because what Bone is doing is so distinctive from what the rest of the cast is doing. So I'd love to see one of them edge out the Ted Lasso boys. Yeah, Bowen and Keenan are just hilarious. And I know Maya Rudolph, who used to be on SNL, is actually nominated again for her work as a guest, is also nominated this year. And she's absolutely hilarious. Uh, what about, Glenn, the chosen people that weren't nominated, that should have been nominated, that you want to give a shout out to? Uh, give us one. Gustavo, did you watch Hamilton? The play? I went to the musical, the actual musical. Okay, well, I mean, props to you, man, for scoring <laughs> a ticket to that. 
So that was a big deal last July. You might remember Hamilton going on Disney Plus and everyone watched it, including Emmy voters, because they gave like literally everyone in the show, if you step foot on that stage, it seemed like you got an Emmy nomination, which was mm. weird because it's not really a television show. It's it's a pre-recorded Broadway musical. And, you know, they played to the camera. There's camera work and such, but it's not television. And the sad thing is, because all these people were nominated, so many people in limited series, deserving actors, were shut out. I mean, that's the way the Emmys work. You have to get people to watch something for it to be nominated. And what people weren't watching was two of the best things on what we call television. Steve McQueen's Small Axe movie anthology, which is on Amazon. And that's five movies good enough that the LA Film Critics, which I'm a member of, we gave it best picture. Like, how can you give five movies best picture? Well, they're five great movies. And the other one was Underground Railroad, which came out in May, again on Amazon. It was one of these things where all 10 episodes were dropped at once of this kind of heavy series directed again by another Oscar winning filmmaker, Barry Jenkins and amazing deep work, no acting nominations. So I did not see the Small X series, but I did read an essay about it in the New York Review of Books. So one day I will see it. Matt, your choice. So I have to shout out here a show that actually was not eligible for an Emmy this year. But my upset is that it has never been nominated for a major Emmy award in its fifth season now. And that's The Good Fight on Paramount+. Plus. It's a spinoff of the show The Good Wife, which aired on CBS for seven seasons and starred Juliana Margulies in a kind of Obama-era politics story based in Chicago that had to deal with sort of corruption, but also mixed it with a really fun legal procedural. The Good Fight from the same creators is on the streaming service formerly known as CBS All Access, and that allows it to go to even wilder places. For example, season four has an episode where the main characters try to figure out who killed Jeffrey Epstein. There have been episodes about them trying to track down the Trump P-tape. And it must be said the alleged Trump P-tape. Yes. Well, in the context of the show, it's no longer alleged. Spoiler alert, they discover something. This season opens with an episode that is structured as one hour-long previously on montage that takes you through all of the major events of the year 2020. To me, there is no drama on television that is doing more interesting, more provocative, funnier, and more timely work than The Good Fight. And for it to be ignored year after year because it's not on sort of one of the bigger streaming services, at least yet. And before we end, I want to give you at least one of my favorite shows and just tell me either Glenn or Matt if it was nominated for an Emmy. Summer House on Bravo. No, it was not nominated. The only Bravo nominees were Top Chef. That's a classic. And uh, Below Deck. Below Deck is such an amazing show, although I'm boycotting Below Deck Med this year because 
What's her name? Captain Sandy was mean to Hannah from last season. You see, I do know some television. Do, do you see that show, Glenn? I don't watch Bravo um, because it's home of the real Housewives franchise, and that's a blight on America. <laughs> Glenn, Matt, thank you so much for this conversation. Thanks, Gustavo. It's been fun. Thanks, Gustavo. Take care. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow on the show, Mexico seeks to protect farmers with a ban on herbicides and GMO corn. Can it succeed? Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Melissa Kaplan, and Marina Peña. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb. Our intern is Ashley Brown. And our theme music is by Andrew Eatman. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news and desmadre. Gracias.